Are you ready? Welcome to Radio Grognard, King Size, the OSR podcast with more stuff with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hi, folks. Old Man Grognard here. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, Episode two of Radio Grognard, King Size. Okay, what do we have to talk today? Talk about today. Hmm. How about social versus role-playing encounters? Now, that you that it's sort of the thing, the same thing. I should have said social slash role-playing encounters as opposed to combat. Combat, it seems nine times out of ten, that's what happens. Because first of all, I don't think of social or or role-playing encounters, I don't think of them as encounters. I think of them as just the role-playing. Like if the PCs have to go to a certain place or talk to a certain person, they go talk to that person. It never occurs to me it's an encounter. But I I should be thinking about that. Because, you know, even if you've got random encounters, you should put in like, three or so that are not. They're just things that happen. I mean, it's been to the point like I've done it before. It says, oh, oh, you, I roll a random encounter. Oh, you see a cow out in the field. Or you see a, a blacksmith chewing a horse or something like that. Something very, very mundane. You say it and you go on. So there's, there's, a lot of potential for that because you never know when the players are going to go, oh, I want to go uh, try and pet that cow or I want to go talk to that blacksmith or something like that. And all of a sudden you have a social encounter on your hands. So play it. So, so that's something to keep in mind. When you're, when you're doing encounters, don't just think of battle. Think of role-playing. And social. I mean, it may give you a clue to what you're, do- you know, what the adventure is all about or further you along in the adventure, or it just may be to your advantage. You never know. So there's that. Okay, let's talk let's talk about alignment for a minute. Now, whether you have the three alignment, five alignment, or nine alignment system, I'm primarily talking about D and derivatives thereof. Those are the ones that usually have alignment. Don't let it don't let it impede your character development with your character or role playing for that matter because it's if you remember way back when I'm going to go in the early days you know the prehistoric days of D&D judges guild I used to like the way judges guild did that I used to, I have well I still do I have city state of the invincible overlord um, and a couple of like Tarantus and a couple other cities of theirs and whenever they do, like, NPCs, they give you the alignment, but if it leans towards some other alignment. It's sort of like in a college, you have a major and a minor. You're majoring at this, but minoring in that. So they he put something like, they'll put something like lawful evil with neutral characteristics or chaotic good with lawful leaning. And that gives you a clue right there. Alignments aren't set in stone. Okay? I think even clerics and paladins 
have variations on that. I mean, gods may, their, their, their deities may want them to be a certain alignment, but they're also, they also take into consideration, uh, you know, there, there's very, it's, there's variations in there. That's how you, that's how you get personality. That's how you get character in a character, you know, alignment adjusted. So I would not be very hard on characters who vary from their alignment a little. If they vary alignment a lot, then there's going to be repercussions in the clerical and paladin circles. So that's that's the way I like to play them. That's the way I think they should play. It should be, okay, this guy's lawful good, but sometimes he does a, a chaotic thing, and it's just his thing. So that's why I say alignments aren't strict. They're just clues to help you make your, you know, play your character. That's true. It is. All right, let's do uh, best in show here. How about Sturges? I like Sturges. Sturges are fun. They're small, but they really give a credible, it's a credible threat to a low to medium level party. And sometimes, you know, my, my, my players are like, huh, oh, what's that? Uh, Sturges again. But let me tell you, when it comes down to it, it scares them. Something that'll latch on and drain your blood. Mm, boy, that'll get you. That's almost as worse as, uh, it's almost as worse as uh, draining levels. So I like to do a little twist on that. I think it's one, one of the, one of the frog guide, one of the swords and wizardry books. I don't know if it's monstrosities. It's Tome, Tome of Horrors, probably. But they have undead sturges, which is an even greater threat. I like using them because not only can they latch on and draw blood, you can't do a thing about it because you're paralyzed because they get the zombie paralyzation feat, uh, power. So they will latch on. You make a save, and if you're paralyzed, they just sit here and drink unless somebody else comes along and yanks them off you. So little twists like that. How about fire breathing sturges? There's something. I was like, to me, when to me when all else fails, make the creature fire breathing. <laughs> it just it, because because one, it gives them more threat, and two, the player characters never expect it. What the hell? That thing breathes fire? Oh my gosh! And you got him. So the, they're kind of. That's why I like sturges so much. And also they tend to swarm. You know, you never see one sturge in a nest. You always see at least three. And that for a first level party, that that's pretty potent. Pretty potent. I also like to do the fact that if somebody's bleeding, they can smell it like sharks. They can smell it, and they may come from like down the hallway or another room if they can get in. If they smell it, if their nest is say two rooms down, they smell blood. Oh boy, they start to frenzy, and then it really gets dangerous, which is a which to me is kind of fun. This is what you live for, yes. So those are those are my thoughts on sturges. What about combat maneuvers? Now I. I don't, uh, I'm kind of hot and cold on combat. I like combat maneuvers, but especially when I'm playing a fighter, which is where you usually 
get them. But combat maneuvers are something I don't think about when I'm fighting. It's like I hit them or I don't hit them. I fire an arrow or I don't fire an arrow. You got to think about that. Now, this has brought been brought up to me in the you know for the the last few games because I have been in a position where I had to use a certain combat maneuver, which is a defensive retreat. Now, defensive retreat. Uh, this is this is uh, Rule Cyclopedia D and D. I think they have it also in uh, Hyperborea. There's also in Hyperborea and things like that. But basically, you're fighting and trying to get away at the same time without giving them, with keeping your defenses up and leaving, basically. And there are certain restrictions on there, like you cannot, you have to use your, you have to. I think it was in in Beckme, You have to use your your full turn just for defense purposes, like keeping that shield up and getting your and start backing away. And it has to start like, you know, one hex away from the other one. But if they charge you, if they enter that hex, you can hit them. You can take a swing, but they have to initiate it. That's the way uh, defensive retreats work pretty much. And now that's one of my favorite things. If I get in over my head, I will start a defensive retreat. Uh, another thing I saw in the Hyperborea book, you plant, if you're an archer, you plant your arrows in the ground if you have time to set it up. Right along, you know, just in a row, set, set arrows in the ground for you to pull out and fire. And if you do that, your rate of fire improves. So you go one to one, go to like two to one, two to one will go to two to two, which is really, that's, to me, that's the way it should be. And, you know, think about combat maneuvers next time you're, you're playing a fighter or any other martial type character like that. I also want to add that sometimes you should really go over that part of the rule book that has combat and combat uh, maneuvers because it really would it really would behoove you to do that. It's a really good thing to know. Hey, how about tokens? You ever use tokens? I don't use minis anymore. I use tokens which is little round, you know, got the picture of whatever's on there and you use it as a mini. I have no problem with that. That's the one thing that fourth edition, one of the few things that fourth edition did good is come out with all those tokens. I bought one of those monster vaults and I got it used. So I got a whole bunch of other ones in there and I am not lacking for tokens. Plus I make my own. I made my own. The best place to get some pictures is magic cards. I'm, bought like a hundred magic cards, you know, old where they're going to, I, I had a store, they had a bucket of magic cards. It's like eight bucks for a hundred. It's like, okay. And I took them and I converted a lot of them into tokens, a lot of them into tokens. Uh, what I usually use is super glue with uh, fender washers, you know, the real flat ones. I kind of regret doing that now. I didn't realize I can buy, I can get like chipboard or cardboard and punch those out and put them on there, which is a lot lighter because my tokens, after a while, that's weight. I've got a whole fishing tackle box full of those tokens. That thing is heavy. So you might want to use like cardboard like that. You know, like the back, you, you buy a, say a, pad of graph paper, a line paper, the cardboard they put in the back of it. That's the kind of cardboard I'm talking about, that thin stuff. 
and punch those out, super glued on there. You never have to worry about minis. I also like to take cardstock, just blank cardstock, and punch them out and glue them onto the token for just generic blank, blank uh, tokens. I can write on them. Okay, here's your character. Boom. This is a goblin. I'll just draw a little thing on there. That's good. Now I've got. I've taken that a step further. I bought plastic tokens from. Etsy and Amazon. The ones on Etsy, I got, they were 120, I believe. And they're an inch and a half. I kind of screwed up because I was hoping for one inch tokens. And I got an inch and a half. So, okay, fine. I found one inch tokens on Amazon for a really cool price. And now I can use them. I can stack them on the one and a half and they can be like condition monitors or something like that. And both these tokens, or or bigger monsters and both these tokens you can wet erase and dry erase on them and they'll and they'll wash off so if i need a whole bunch of goblins or a whole bunch of skeletons or a whole bunch of all i had to do is break these out oh what's that oh are you're paralyzed let me put this blue larger token on under yours and what i could do is like i can get some kind of uh you know tape and something to Put it on there. Okay, that's your condition now, just to remind me and to remind them. So to me, tokens are the way to go. That's that's for me the way to go. Anyway, so what else we got? Let's see. We uh, oh one shots. Yes, one shots. Uh, I I'm like one shots because that's a great way to. I use those to to try out new new game systems which is a good thing. And I can, you know, and in conventions, of course, I like to do the ad hoc thing where people want me to run something. I don't have anything. And I came up with a one. Uh, when we tried an index card RPG, uh, that was a last minute thing because Matt said, hey, look, I'm not up to running tonight because I'm not prepared. I had a hard day at work, blah, blah, blah. Can you do it? He, you mentioned me. And I said, no, then I turned around and said, yes, I can. We can try out Index Card RPG. Okay, fine. I had no I had no scenario at all. And I took my world, my my what am I calling my burner world, the Orange Coast, and I said, okay, we're gonna play in the Orange Coast, and we're gonna do something about okay, Orange Coast has got a big uh, a big city called Beefsteak, and their thing is they're they they're stockyards, and you know, they have ranches around them and farms around them and okay we're going to have problem with one of the uh, houses again one of the merchant houses where they they're on a cattle drive not too far they run into this copse of trees and the cattle disappear the cattle disappear and they don't know what happened and they can't find anything and so they hire the player characters to exam to uh to to investigate and they do and i pulled out like i had a, a couple of dungeons in there and i slapped them together and used that and this is all what i i came all of this i came up on the drive to matt's house and i had people make characters character creation is very simple in an index card rpg and we had a great time it all played out and it was a lot of fun I would like to play, the, I would like to run again with that system. But the point is, it doesn't take much to come up with a one shot. You figure out how much time you have 
You know, how much, how long do you want to play? Three hours, four hours, whatever. And you can fit those in there. There's a lot of good YouTube videos out there on how to do one shots and other blogs or things like that. So I would, I would investigate those if, if I was you and uh, try them out. Yeah. Try them out there. Um, if you can come up with a one shot on the, at the, you know, at the spur of the moment, I didn't think I could do it. I really didn't. And I did. It was great. It was a lot of fun. So don't, don't poo poo one shots. You can use, you can do a lot with them, especially if you don't have anything, you know, to go on right away. So let me just lay that out. Okay. How about some city stuff? Let's do some city stuff. Fantasy media. What does that suggest to you? It suggests bread and circuses, uh, coliseums, maybe fights in the fights in a makeshift uh, a makeshift arena, something like that. And that's a great way for that's a great thing for characters to have a background in. Also, it's great for you know, it's great for uh, adventures. I mean, think about this. You know, you've got. You've got a fight going on, maybe in a back room somewhere, and people are betting on it. And you can do the whole, uh, okay, I want you to take a dive, kid. Uh, what's that? Oh, wait a minute. He's using, ma this guy's using magic to prop that guy? No way. You know, all those kind of shenanigans. And you can have characters who are like former gladiators and former boxers and things like that. Let's put the magic into it for a minute. What if you had, say, magical entertainment like, like street magicians, street street wizards, maybe uh, somebody who sells like magic items or tokens or, or something like that, and they do a little magic, kind of like a medicine show. Maybe they're a traveling magic show and they sell these, these minor magical arms, scrolls, whatever, and they're putting on magic. That's entertainment. People who used to go to medicine shows just to get entertained. And that's why they brought them in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, you could have... I, I, keep, I keep imagining a fantasy uh, tavern with these globes, kind of like the, the ones in uh, Lord of the Rings, the... Uh, you know those things. Only they, only they, they put illusions up there about the, um, the game, the 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 Colosseum games going on on the other side of the city or another town and stuff. And people are watching, kind of like a sports bar, or something like that. I think that would be way cool. And they can sell advertising and have people, you know, uh, hey, get your popcorn, get you this, that, and other, you know, that kind of thing. That goes back to the support jobs. <laughs> in the town. So that's something else to think about. You know, think about what what's the entertainment in this town? Not And try to think out of the box. Try to think of something other than the usual coliseums and fights and cockfights and, and gambling and whatever. Try to think outside the box for that. Anyway. Well, you know what? I gotta go. Okay? This one's a little shorter, but that's okay. We're sort of playing around with it. If you guys want to talk to me about this stuff I'm talking about or anything else, oldmangrognart.gmail.com or drop me a voicemail on Anchor. If you got any recommendations on what to do in this in this kind of uh, in these kind of shows, 
let me know. Oldmangrognardgmail.com. Uh, by the way, we're monetized, so as little as 99 cents a month, you too can help support this program. I would thank you. If you, uh, you want to do a single donation, you can go to my Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash oldmangrognard or, or my PayPal tip jar, paypal.me slash oldmangrognard. Let me thank these people who do give to me monthly. Gilbert Suarez, Juan Carlos Llewellyn, Benjamin Brodell, John Allen Large, and Aaron. Thank you very much, guys. For other good podcasts, there is Dan Griggs, the Young, Y-U-N-G, Young Grognard Podcast, Kevin at the Red Caps Podcast, Daniel Norton's Bandits Keep Podcast, Randy and Joe's Biggest Geekest Podcast, Big John Allen Large's The Red Dice Diaries, and my friend Eric Tenkar's Tavern Chat. So, until I see you folks again, keep the dice warm, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Got questions? You got comments? Send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. Tune in next time when Radio Grognard King Size is on the air. <laughs> <laughs>